Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. G'day, uh, my name's Jason Crinian. Uh, for those who don't know me, uh, I'm the worship director here at City Reach Oakton. Uh, I've been part of this church family for about 18 years. It's been here that I've, I've taken my faith seriously. It's, uh, it's where I've matured in my knowledge and walk with the Lord. It's where I've been mentored and supported in the various stages of life. Uh, it's, I've been believed in here. I've been given a chance to, to flourish in my faith and, and given opportunities to exercise my spiritual gifts. All great things. But it's also where I met my beautiful bride, Lauren, who has read God's word and prayed for us tonight. I love my wife, Lauren, uh, very much. And I thank God for the privilege to be her bridegroom. Now that I've got some brownie points, uh, let's get to tonight's teaching in the Song of Solomon. Um, in the evening services, we're studying this beautiful, beautiful piece of poetry, the Song of All Songs. So far, the, the song has described the couple's attraction and love for one another. And last week, Pastor Graham spoke about uh, the courtship that took place between the two characters. Uh, tonight's passage in chapter 3, and particularly verses 6 to 11, we see the couple into a new phase of their relationship, their wedding. Uh, the author, Solomon, has been using this couple as a way to describe the beauty uh, of pure love and where love should exist, and that is between the man and a woman, and it's in the union of marriage as God designed. And so here we are, the wedding. Can I take you back to the day of Lauren and my wedding? Uh, it's a warm 18th of November, 2012. Can you imagine that? The day starts with my groomsmen and I. We, we go to the venue and we set up this nice surprise for when Lauren rocks up. Um, we go back to my parents' house and I nervously get ready and dressed and uh, ready to, to receive and wait for my bride. My groomsmen and I, we arrive in these spectacular cars that not many people get. Um, the guests are arriving. I take my place at the altar, um, but we're waiting for the bride. I'm, I'm rocking back and forth on my toes, uh, trying not to faint, which apparently works. And so that's a free tip. If you're worried about fainting, rock on your feet. Um, but guests are smiling, patiently waiting for the greatly anticipated arrival of my bride. And so she arrives. I can't see her through the trees, but the guests can. I can hear gasps of awe. I rock my feet faster. <laughs> she gets closer. Her, hair, her veil gets caught in a tree, but she's okay. Then I see my bride, and I don't faint, and everyone's filled with joy with the arrival and the sheer beauty of what I think is the most beautiful bride ever. Now, on that day, we declare our love. We share our vows, we exchange our rings, we're married. And the celebrations go well into the night with family and friends 
great memories are made. In the, in the Song of Solomon, this song, we come, to, uh, in, uh, we come to a wedding ceremony that is not like Lauren and my wedding. We think of weddings, even this one in the song, with our Western culture in mind. Uh, it's all about the bride for us. It's uh, the grand entrance. The groom's just an accessory for the bride to wear on the day, I'm sure of it. It's all about the venue, uh, how good the bouquet is, right, ladies? And for me, it's how good the finger food is. No, but that, that's how we view weddings. And it's okay to appreciate the beauty of the bride and all the efforts gone into the day, but for us to understand tonight's part of the song, we can't have our view of weddings. We need to see it through the lens of who it was given to, this song. And that is the Jewish community. And so, well, firstly, I hope I haven't lost anyone <laughs> at this point. Is there really another sermon about love and intimacy and marriage, relationships? Well, I have to be honest and upfront, it is about those things. But I'm pleased to say that I think each and every one of us will go away with having learned something relevant to their circumstances. Sure, people in relationships and courting uh, will gain some helpful wisdom along the way, uh, but even more amazingly, we're all going to see that the deeper meaning of God's design for love, ultimately in the union of marriage, is something that can be enjoyed by all. And when you understand the deeper meaning of the marriage song, you understand the need to sing along. And so, now the confusing thing about studying this piece of Hebrew poetry is that at times you can feel like you're in the movie Inception. Has anyone seen that movie? That messes with your head. Um, the characters in that film, they, they enter into dreams and they, and they mess around with the world. And in those dreams, they go into another dream. I think they even go into another dream again, and it's very, very confusing. This is sort of like Inception, kind of, as we read this, uh, this wedding, because we're reading a book that contains a song uh, written for the nation of Israel, and the love of the characters are the main subjects in this song. And, and there's even a moment where we're in the bride's dream, too. It can be a bit confusing, because we can forget where we are and where we should be. At times we feel like we should be resonating with certain characters, uh, sometimes wondering about the perspective of the author. Other times we're, we're wondering about the original audience and how, how they felt when they were reading it and hearing it. It's all good, though, because I think it's the intention of the author. We need to be in and out of the song along the way. With that in mind, is what we're going to do together tonight. We're going to learn how to understand the wedding in the song by having a lesson on ancient Jewish wedding ceremonies, which will be fun. And that's, uh, but bearing in mind, the old covenant. Uh, this is so we can get in the song and get a grasp on what kind of emotion, tension, and feelings Solomon was trying to get his listener to experience. Next, we're going to jump out of the song. 
and we're going to buddy up with the, with the author, Solomon, and try to understand the wisdom that he's teaching the listener. And that will be through observing the text and, and making some uh, observations along the way and comparing some texts. And then we're going to look at how to understand the word of God for us today. And the way we'll do that is by looking mainly at the themes in the poetry. That's what we've got to do. Leaving the song and seeing how, as believers under the new covenant, we're affected differently, but in the most beautiful way, as we will see. Let's try not to get caught up on whether this wedding actually happened in a moment in time, or who exactly the characters are, or what exactly the imagery means. There is so much dispute about this. Trust me, I was reading and studying for tonight, and it is very confusing. Uh, And if you get caught up on those details, you miss a deeper meaning intended. And like Pastor Jeremy has said uh, in our first week in this book, uh, the detail isn't very clear most of the time, and it's almost deliberate. Uh, So we don't get sidetracked and we miss the wisdom Solomon is teaching through the song. And so are you ready to jump in the song with me? Let's begin to, to understand the wedding. So imagine this. There's a man and a woman. They may not know each other yet, uh, or perhaps they've courted for a while. Uh, he intends to marry her. So he and his parents, they travel to the home of the young girl and announce the intent to marry they enter into a negotiation process to develop the mutually agreed-upon covenant for marriage. They negotiate not only the things that the bridegroom uh, will provide for his wife, but also a price to purchase the woman as his wife. Wow. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean he's purchasing her like a, a piece of property or anything like that. Rather, It was an acknowledgement that she was worth something to the family. Typically, most families, they required everyone in the family to be actively working, helping provide for their needs. And so by taking this woman as his bride, the bridegroom is taking away something very precious uh, from that family. And he needed to compensate that, and it was right to do that. Once a covenant agreement was made by both parties, They shared a cup of wine to signify that they had become betrothed to one another. That is, the bride was set apart for that bridegroom only. And they were technically married at that point. However, the custom was that they would not consummate or complete the marriage through physical intimacy until preparation was made. What? Now, my experience was vows said, rings exchanged, smooches done, the paper signed. Uh, when's the wedding reception going to be over? But, but in Jewish culture, preparation meant betrothed and separation for a year. Can I just say, Lauren and I were engaged for 19 months, and it was a challenge. Uh, for us to, to remain self-controlled and patient, we thank the Lord that he, help, he helped us in that time to remain pure. 
And what, so whilst we'll see wisdom in waiting, if you're in a serious relationship and, and you struggle with sexual temptation and, and fear you won't keep boundaries in, and your purity, perhaps a shorter way is actually wiser. But for the Jews, the bridegroom would return home and prepare a home for his bride. This year duration meant he had the time to prepare a home for his bride. And it wasn't until his father decided that it was time to collect his bride. And in the meantime, the bride was preparing uh, to be a wife, probably seeking help from her mom and maybe her future mother-in-law who would know her son very well. And it's interesting to note here that um, Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, they were in the betrothal period, which is why it was so scandalous that she fell pregnant. She was a virgin, and it seemed that she had broken the covenant with her bridegroom, Joseph, who was preparing a home for her. And this was why he sought to divorce her quietly until, of course, an angel revealed to him the precious gift of Jesus that was to come and the need to persist in their marriage. Uh, but back to our, our story. As I said, the father determined when the time was right. And so it's at this point that the ceremony really begins. The bridegroom is on his way. Now, what did that look like? Well, he was treated like a king, high and lifted up on a carriage, also known as a litter in our text, and escorted by his family and friends and close, uh, probably uh, male friends, to get his bride, to get his queen. Now, there was the year of waiting, uh, but the bride and her family and community didn't know the exact time of the arrival. So when, she, when he was spotted in the distance, there was a shout of joy to notify the bride, to get ready, your bridegroom is here. A serious case of ready or not, here I come. He would collect her. And they would, both be, uh, they would both be whisked off to the bridegroom's father's house to consummate the marriage in the marriage chamber that he had prepared. And then they would celebrate seven days with the whole community. The ceremony not only impacted the couple, but the whole community around them. And they were treated like king and queen. Now, that's the end of the lesson. And the reason I wanted to walk us through that was... Uh, to compare the value of marriage between the Jews of that time and us Australians today. Can you see how significant the wedding was and the value placed on marriage in that culture? It's a different story for us Aussies. I've been looking at statistics during the week and the rate of marriages each year over the last 40 years has declined rapidly. And, and with it, divorce rates too, which sounds good, but the reason there's not many divorces is because not many marriages. More people live in de facto relationships, out of wedlock, and that's st- seen in the statistics too. In the 1970s, 16% of people lived together before marriage. And in 2016, uh, 81% of people lived together before marriage. 
There isn't the sense of this union uh, being a holy appointment before God. A hundred years ago, 97% of Australian weddings uh, were performed by religious ministers. And by the year 2000, civil celebrants took the lead with 76% of weddings now performed by them. The holiness of marriage isn't really seen in our culture and its, and its importance isn't either. How does knowing all this affect Solomon's song and help us, though? Well, since the song teaches wisdom through the relationship and the union of the couple, I believe Solomon wrote it with this Jewish tradition in mind. And so understanding it like the Jews is necessary to help us understand the wisdom he's actually teaching. If we bear in mind this wedding tradition, we can get a sense of where the song is according to the couple's relationship, uh, and therefore we can feel what Solomon intended for the listener. We see their courtship in the earlier chapters as they dote on one another and uh, exchange kind words and sweet love. You can really sense it. But then the song comes to a time of waiting for the arrival of the bridegroom, her king. I had Lauren read all of the chapter because its two parts contrast each other very interestingly. So let's jump into our song from verse 6 before we backtrack again. So let's read together. What is that coming up from the wilderness? Like columns of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the fragrant powders of a merchant. Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are 60 mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords and expert in war, each with his sword at his thigh against terror by night. King of Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its posts of silver, its back of gold, its seat of purple, Its interior was inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. Now up until this point, the bride has been describing how attractive her man is with images of nature. He's like an apple tree. It's pretty nice of it a gazelle, a young stag. But now, according to the daughters of Jerusalem, the bride's man is mighty and comes with power. He comes with mighty men carrying him. His carriage is full of majesty and precious detail. The daughters of Jerusalem encourage each other with the great hope of the bridegroom's arrival who brings safety and protection. The listener shouldn't get too caught up with the detail of the carriage, although it's significant, that it should just invoke on the listener this sense of grandeur, opulence, splendor upon his arrival, a high value of marriage. Verse 11 is significant for us because it presents the contrast that I was talking about. In chapter 2, verse 7, the bride warned the daughters of Jerusalem to not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. At that time, the couple seemed to be in the courting stage of their relationship. And so the wisdom to the daughters of Jerusalem is to be patient for love. 
like the cup was. Wait, because it is so sweet. Chapter 3, however, takes a turn, seeing the bride in distress in her dream. So let's read her dream at the start of chapter 3. On my bed by night, I sought him who my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him who my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about the city. Have you seen him who my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him who my soul loves. I held him and I would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house, into the chamber of her who conceived me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Solomon seems to use her dream as a way to warn the reader, again, to not waken love. What do we know about a wedding? The bride is to patiently wait for the bridegroom's arrival. But here she seems to have sped up the process and found him and grabbed him, taken him to her mother's chamber. The listener should be shocked. And the way I interpret it is she wakes up before she had awakened love in the dream. Therefore, the dream warns, do not waken a love, O daughters of Jerusalem. This really contrasts the arrival of the bridegroom now, doesn't it? The wait is over. Her bridegroom is arriving. Behold, here he comes. The daughters of Jerusalem can now see. It is now the time to start awakening love. Go look upon Solomon, as the text says. The wisdom that Solomon is teaching through these characters appears to be seen in the way that the daughters of Jerusalem respond to his arrival. What is the wisdom that they are sharing with us? Well, these are some of the things that I think they are teaching us. Well, sorry, maybe what they were teaching the original audience, but we'll get some things out of it too. Firstly, they've been teaching a lesson for the need to be patient as they've been patient for the bridegroom's arrival. What's that coming up from the wilderness, they say? They've heeded the warning of the bride to not awaken love prematurely and have joined her in the waiting. What a relief to see his arrival. An example of how this wisdom could be helpful for us is maybe there's someone you're really keen on, and they're sort of keen and pretty reluctant, actually, to establish any kind of relationship, instead of guilt-tripping them or giving the silent treatment, the wisdom could be to not awaken love if it isn't meant to be in that relationship. It's clearly not meant to be, for now at least. To awaken something that shouldn't be will hurt you both. Enjoy friendship. Encourage each other's faith and trust God in his leading. Secondly, the, the doors of Jerusalem, they're, they're teaching us to, they're teaching to be ready. And that's seen in the way they celebrate his coming. Behold, it's the litter of Solomon. They've been on watch ready to announce uh, to the bride of his arrival. 
They're not even the ones receiving a bridegroom, yet they're so eager to announce his arrival. The value of marriage is here too. As Pastor Jeremy mentioned the other week, um, we can be blessed by couples. And I'm humbly encouraged, and Lauren too, that, that our marriage can bless others, as he shared. Some people aren't going to experience marriage in their lifetime here, but that doesn't mean you can't enjoy the benefits from marriages. The wisdom here could be to, to ask God, despite your circumstance, for a heart that, that rejoices and delights in the union of others, a genuine desire to, to help others flourish in their relationships through wise counsel, perhaps supporting them in prayer. Thirdly, they've taught us the need to be aware, aware of the right time to awaken love. Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon the king. They're now understanding the time to awaken love when the bridegroom is coming. When you are patient and ready, and if you have the opportunity to enjoy companionship with someone else, then you must be aware of this right time. It might be, for us, the earlier or the later part of a relationship. Don't miss the hints someone is giving you. Or perhaps, uh, don't miss the bold advances from someone. Or perhaps your girlfriend is leaving pictures of engagement rings out. Perhaps prayerfully consider the wisdom of engagement. The bottom line, though, with this wisdom is don't have your head in the clouds and absent from real life. It might mean you need to give up video games or have a break from The Bachelor. Waste of time. Have you seen the value of marriage so far through this song? How it's something for everyone to be looking forward to, even if you aren't a bride or a bridegroom. In this context, they see the beauty of when two people unite. So what, though? We've gained a bit of an understanding of the context of the original people that would have heard this this beautiful song and how it might have affected their reactions and emotions. We've observed the daughters of Jerusalem and and gained some wisdom that's, that's kind of helpful for some of us today but we need to dig deeper to understand the word of God for us in 2018 in Adelaide. The more I studied this part of the song, the less I actually saw direct wisdom for our contemporary setting today and saw more significance in the themes that Solomon was presenting to the listener. Now, this might be a poor mindset, but but I struggle to accept that Solomon wrote this song for us in Australia today. But I can accept that God has used it throughout the ages and still does by the way people engage with the song. What do I mean by that? Well, the genre, the language, it's intriguing. It's beautiful. It's exciting and thought-provoking. For not only the Christian, but for the, for the not yet Christian too. The way it makes you feel and the images that come to mind are significant. And I believe God uses this song to help us appreciate 
an even greater marriage, an even greater bride and bridegroom, something beautiful for the Christian and quite frightening for the not-yet-Christian. As I said earlier, the, the deeper meaning of God's design for love, ultimately in the union of marriage, is something that can be enjoyed by all. I believe that God is using this beautiful song to provide wisdom for those in relationships and those who won't be in one, but I also see how God is using it to make sure we all delight in the greater marriage. The way we're going to understand the word for us is by looking at this text thematically. And that's what we're going to do with this poetry. And so we need to to press next and listen to another song. It's on the same album, so it's okay, but it's a different track. And so we're going to click next. And trust me, when you understand the deeper meaning of the marriage song, you understand the need to sing along. The main theme that stands out to me in this passage is that of waiting for an arrival. Who's ever waited before? Yeah, yeah me too. I've waited before too. Um, you know those times when you when you purchase something on the internet, something super awesome, and it says two to three weeks waiting. So by day 14, you're waiting at the letterbox. The suspense, the doubt of whether it's actually going to come, condition that it will arrive in, but you wait patiently for that rare exotic plant that you paid way too much for. <laughs> no, no, I didn't, I didn't. Um, this theme of waiting can be so intense and is something that we all experience in our own unique ways. In light of what we know about God's design for marriage, the beauty of this theme is truly seen in the parallel of it. And so here we go. Christ, our bridegroom, left his father's home to come to earth to gain for himself a bride. He initiated coming to establish a marriage covenant for his bride, the church. It was Christ who paid the price to purchase us as his bride. And he paid for it with his blood when he died on the cross. Even in our sin and disobedience, Christ died for us. Oh, the grace of our God. Living lives that offended the living God, yet he loved us so much that he sent his only son to save us. Once Christ paid the price, he didn't remain dead. The power of God raised him from the dead, testifying that he is fully God, defeating the power of sin and death. Those who repent of their sin and turn to Christ in surrender, believing that he is truly the Son of God, they will be saved because they are now set apart exclusively for Christ, the bridegroom. Christ instituted communion with the breaking of bread and drinking of wine as a way to symbolize and remember the covenant he made with his bride. And I hope that as we share communion together in a moment, it will be that much more sweeter for those who partake, knowing that 
we remember what Christ has initiated. The home of the bride is not her true home. It is the home of the bridegroom's father. Christ ascended there and is still there preparing a home for his bride. And in the meantime, his bride prepares for his arrival with the help of overseers, pastors, teachers, those who equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Christ will soon come for his bride, the church. And she does not know the time of his arrival. The shout, behold, it is Christ, will be heard. He will collect his bride and consummate the marriage with a future eternal union, the bridegroom and the bride. This beautiful song of Solomon's should cause our minds to go to a greater bridegroom and a greater marriage. And the question for us tonight is, are you singing along to this song? That is, are you aware of the times? And where we are right now according to the marriage with Christ? And are you playing your part? Because I can't stress enough the need to be patient and ready for his return. How do you value marriage? Do you see the deeper meaning of it? Whether you marry or not, I hope the significance of marriage is that much sweeter now for you. And I hope you can look forward to an even greater marriage and see that you will be part of it, each and every one of us, but only if you are part of the bride of Christ. Only if you have accepted that Christ truly died and rose to life. Only if you've turned away from your sins and surrendered to Jesus as your king, as your bridegroom. So are you ready? Are you ready for the return of the bridegroom? This is serious stuff. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, we read the parable of the ten virgins. I'm not sure if you read it before, but I'm going to read it now. You don't have to turn there, but you can if you'd like. But I hope that it makes a lot more sense now, but also gives to us the warning. Matthew 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all those virgins rose, trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other versions came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he said, truly, I say to you, I, I don't know you. 
Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Can I invite the, the musicians to come and prepare to lead us again? Our bridegroom, Jesus, is coming. And so I have to put these challenges to you and I want you to examine where you fit. Are you ready for the wedding? This is a day when our bridegroom will collect his bride and no others can be added. Are you taking that reality seriously? Do you need to stop living for the world that is fleeting for us as Christ's bride? Are you preparing for his arrival? We're the bride, but we're also the body. We need each other. We need to look to our leadership to keep preparing for his arrival. Maybe you're struggling to respect the leader. Maybe you need to seek forgiveness with a brother and sister in Christ. Being prepared means dealing with sin too. Or thirdly, are you, are you willing to accept Christ's offer to pay the price for you? The price he, he paid through his death on a cross for your sin. Perhaps you've never known about this offer or never taken it seriously. I urge you to take it seriously tonight. In a moment, we're going to share communion in light of tonight's message. I think it will be so sweet to take that together now. As the musicians minister to us in song, Consider the words that help us remember the significance of Christ's sacrifice and his glorious resurrection. Be ministered to in this, in this moment. And spend time giving thanks to the Father for sending the bridegroom Christ. And after our time of communion, we'll continue to respond by declaring our anticipation as we long for our bridegroom's return together as the bride of Christ. We will be patient and with one voice praise the name of Jesus. But I want to lead two prayers before we do that. Though. One for the Christian who needs a renewed perspective and one for the not yet Christian if you choose to, to pray along. Pray along with me in your mind and from your heart. So let us pray firstly for the Christian's new perspective. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the way he has changed my life personally. Forgive me for living for this world and treating it like my home. Please give me a renewed perspective to live like the bride waits for her groom. Holy Spirit, help me to live each moment honoring my God by living for the future kingdom, I will enjoy when Jesus returns. I thank you for this renewing in Jesus' name. And while every eye is closed, I want to lead a prayer for those coming to God for the first time. This is serious. So follow along in your mind and from your heart. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who has died in my place to save me from my sin. I confess I am a sinner 
who has offended you, the living God, and I am in desperate need of Jesus. Father, I acknowledge that it is only through Jesus' death and resurrection that I can come to you in repentance now. I'm sorry for my sins and the life that I have lived apart from you and ask for forgiveness right now. I believe that it is only in the name of Jesus that I find real life. I turn from my sin. I now surrender to Jesus to be the one to rule my life. I now receive the Holy Spirit who will help me to live for Christ and prepare for his return. Thank you that I now truly will be part of the bride of Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins and this new life. In Jesus' name, amen. I really hope tonight I've spoken to you in some way. As I said, we're also the body of Christ. And so if you've responded or you need help to and support to keep responding, then please speak to someone. Perhaps the person who brought you along or someone uh, at the front to pray along with, meet with me, I'd love to meet you. If you've decided to accept Jesus as your bridegroom for the very first time, then please let us know. I'd love to support you, walk with you. No, marriage is truly something else, isn't it? Something far greater than what we enjoy in this life on earth. And I hope the Holy Spirit has helped you receive tonight's teaching, inspired by this beautiful song of Solomon's. So stay seated in this time of communion. Eat the bread and consider Christ who has initiated this wonderful marriage with himself and hold the cup and we will drink together showing the unity we have as the bride of Christ.